Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. I want to lead off this morning um, with a thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Winter share was really brief, just two and a half days, but totally amazing. God um, brought into the ministry resources from across the nation and around the world to advance Faith Radio so we can finish this year uh, well. We can move into 2021 with confidence that we have the resources necessary to accomplish God's will um, in and through this ministry. So thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you who participated. And just a reminder, those of you who want to um, still give in this particular year, you can certainly do so at MyFaithRadio.com. I know that year-end giving is um, is something that folks think about even in the closing days of a of a year. And so we just want to remind you that your help is always needed. Your partnership in the ministry is always appreciated. Um, we we literally couldn't do what we do without you. Um, I want to I want to share a good news story about the power of the good news this morning. And I want to share this in part because um, when you read the headlines related to this, it, it the this is literally called burying the lead. So if you if you let me just let me pose it this way: if you did a national survey year after year after year, if you did a national survey. Year after year after year. And in this year, in your national survey, every indicator was negative except one. If on your big chart that you published, your 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 numbers were negative eight, negative ten, negative fifteen. These are points in percentage change. Negative eleven, negative twelve, negative thirteen, negative ten, negative eight, negative eight, negative ten, negative nine, negative negative, negative. Would you not highlight the one indicator that was positive? I mean, would that not stand out to you? I mean, it's like jumps off the page if you actually look at the research. So what am I talking about? Gallup, every single year, surveys Americans on their uh, health and health care. And a huge part of the survey is about mental health. And while it's true that all the numbers are negative, 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 for every demographic group, there's one standout. There is one group of people in the United States of America that reports that uh, they have not had a decline in their mental health during this year. In fact, they have the perception of an increase in terms of their positivity. So why wouldn't you highlight that? especially if it was a group that anybody can join. I mean, especially if it's literally a voluntary organization. Well, you wouldn't highlight it if you didn't like it. If you didn't like that the outcome is people who go to church every week, people who go to church every week, people, let me just highlight this again. There's one demographic. This is broken down by gender, by party identification, Um, by race, by marital status, by age group, by household income, 
across all of those sectors, negative, 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 negative. There's one other group, religious service attendance. And only one of those, not the seldom or never crowd, not the nearly weekly or even monthly crowd, but the weekly crowd, the people who go to church every week, report a positive, a positive outcome for mental health this year, this year. You're not going to see that highlighted by the mainstream media. You're not even going to see it highlighted by Gallup. I mean, I'm a little stunned. If you're a researcher, um, this is this is uh, this is something I want you to hear today. Don't bury the lead just because you don't like it. All right. So they say that the bottom line of the research is that, you know, mental health is in crisis. And I agree with that. And I understand that. But get thee to church. Read Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Recognize the connection that the writer of Hebrews makes between the access that Jesus gives us to the Father and the not forsaking of the getting together as the people of God. You want to see a positive, positive impact on your mental health? Literally, go to church. All right, and I know you're saying, in a pandemic, I can't go to church. Get into the Word of God and get into the Word of God with other people. Participate in online worship services. Connect with a local congregation in your community Get thee to church. Go to a house church. Go to a small group Bible study. Those are actually still meeting. All right, there you go. That's my lead. Ben Johnson waiting in the wings right now. We'll be right back. This is my right. Joining me now, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at actonacton.org. Ben, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Happy Thursday. The happiest day of the week. Thirsty Thursday, terrific Thursday, thoughtful Thursday. Welcome. Thankful Thursday. And thankful for uh, such a wonderful, uh, wonderful share that you had this past week as well. Thanks to all our... our, uh, Everyone who's donated that keeps this program going because of its valuable content. Well, thank you, Ben, and thank you for um, being one of our valuable contributors. We appreciate it. Okay, the U.S. Department of Labor has published a final rule um, to implement the legal requirements for religious exemption. This is actually um, the the sort of concretization, the concretizing, uh, the formalization of an executive order and the application of a religious freedom Restoration Act. But tell, tell people what's going on here, because the um, the way that this is being reported in the media is, you know, hey, they're legalizing workplace discrimination on their way out the door. And that's actually not what's happening. Yeah, the uh, the headlines would make it sound like uh, we've we've brought back segregation and discrimination across the board here. Uh, you mentioned one of the headlines from Slate uh, legalizing discrimination on the way out the door. Uh, yeah, there's uh, another one from uh, a homosexual uh, outlet known as uh, Pink News. Donald Trump spends dying days of presidency legalizing discrimination dressed up as religious freedom. So that's that's sort of been the more or less the mainstream uh, media line, which has been taken directly from uh, from that um, sort of perspective. What what actually happened is much different as usual. 
The Department of Labor, uh, headed by uh, the Secretary Eugene Scalia, issued a rule which has been uh, the process of a very long, robust process, 109,000 comments on it, which simply says, if you are a Christian organization, you may be a federal contractor and live up to your beliefs. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, it's, uh, it's very clear. It says not only that uh, you have the right to, uh, to be a religious organization or to be um, um, a nonprofit, but uh, it, it, you don't simply have to be a church. It understands that there are Christians who are involved in business who may have a contract with the federal government, and they have the right to operate, and this is a quote from the rule, according to the adherence to religious tenets. Uh, so, in other words, not only do you have the right to say that you're a Christian, you have the right to act on that, including, and this is another quote, all aspects of religious observance and practice. So, if you're a Christian employer uh, and and performing a certain service would be opposed to your religious point of view, then you don't have to do it. Uh, if you if uh, certain employment practices would violate your Christian point of view, then you don't have to engage in those practices. Uh, that's a big step forward from where it was under the Obama administration and preceding uh, organizations that didn't offer that to federal contractors. So it's a recognition that people continue to live out their faith, that their religious liberty doesn't miraculously evaporate at 1159 Sunday evening and then return at 501 Friday afternoon. Uh, it's it's the understanding that religious thought and our our faith impacts everything we do, including the way that we work. Yeah, Ben, I um, I think I've just become I have a heightened awareness of um, of how headlines often skew what's actually happening. And so just really want to encourage people today. You absolutely have to go beyond what the headline says and you have to read the material for yourself. And if there's an underlying document that the article is based on, you actually have to uh, click through or research to the point that you can read the you know, you can read the primary document or the primary material. Um, So um, let's take a very, very brief break. When we come back, um, can we talk about what's going on in France? The uh, President Macron has introduced what people are describing in all kinds of ways, but I think it's worthy of conversation um, because it does have uh, it does have religious liberty implications beyond maybe the target group. And so Ben Johnson and I are going to talk about that when we come right back. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson. Um, ben, I, uh, I am reading about what is going on in France, and this is, this is in response to um, the terroristic murder of a teacher in France um, by Islamic extremists um, for, you know, openly sharing historical information, credible historic information that uh, certain individuals found offensive and uh, and took this individual's life. In response, the, the, the country um, is moving in a direction of, quote, targeting movements that in the name of religion have a discourse against the republic. So they say they're not targeting Muslims in this. They say that this is much wider than that. We are targeting movements that in the name of religion have a discourse against the republic. If this were not France in 2020 and this were not Islamic extremism, if I read that sentence to you, 
We are targeting movements that in the name of religion have a discourse against the republic. Um, what if this was a generation ago in Czechoslovakia? Yeah, or, or a generation ago in Germany. Uh, we, we have the exact same kind of language. It, it's a very chilling language. Uh, there are aspects of this bill which uh, Emmanuel Macron has put forward. Uh, as you mentioned on this program many times, France has a terrorism problem. Uh, mm -hmm. There have been beheadings. There have been murders uh, in the name of Islam from people who, who have shared cartoons or expressed opinions or simply uh, for, for Christians who have been uh, who, uh, identified as such. So it's a problem. However, uh, this, this is a broad-based sort of uh, opposition to all religion, which is part of the warp and woof of France from its very foundation. The American Revolution in 1776 uh, was about destroying a, a national church and allowing for everyone to uh, have religious liberty to choose for themselves. The French Revolution of 1789 was about destroying religion so that the state is uh, the over, overarching highest authority and secularism pervades everything. They call it laïcité, which is to say secularism is taught everywhere, including in the public schools. Christian students have been banned from wearing uh, uh, crosses and crucifixes. It, there have been issues with Christians expressing their religious beliefs uh, and particularly acting on them. Uh, and, the, and the state teaches its morality. Muslims have problems with this, some of which we would agree with, many of which obviously we would not. Aspects of this bill are positive. For example, it, it uh, will no longer allow polygamous couples to come to France. That's positive. Uh, it takes additional steps to try and get rid of forced marriages, although I don't think it's going to, to work in this particular case, but at least it's making the effort. That's good. However, it also says that beginning at the age of three years old, children have to go to public schools. They don't have the opportunity to stay home. They don't have the option to stay with their parents, and they don't have the option of homeschooling except in extraordinary cases uh, like, like disability. Uh, it, it also asks for all mosques, which many of which are not registered, to register with the government. Now, anytime the, the, uh, the state wants to register religious organizations so that it can, quote, monitor them, then you get a, a very chilling idea. Uh, so, frankly, France is trying to take care of a very real problem by by, uh, in this case, suppressing Islam, but it really has a broad-based uh, reaction to everyone, in everyone of faith. Uh, and uh, again, this is, this is a question of the French Revolution against the American Revolution, and the French Revolution is about suppressing all faith. That's something that people of all faith should oppose. And I think that the immediate you know, conversation is going to be, okay, so how do you rein in or provide protection from um, genuine radical extremism, violent radical extremism by a particular group who are religiously motivated, um, short of doing what they're doing in a secular society like theirs. I mean, I, they have come up against the reality of their own worldview. Yeah, well, they have. And, uh, you know, they, they have a, a very large uh, Muslim population as well, because remember, they were they were uh, an empire at one point, much of which was in northern Africa and the Middle East. So uh, many of the people of their former empire have moved to France and have been there for a generation. They made absolutely no attempt to integrate them. Uh, and so you have uh, basically an impermeable separate society, uh, which is economically disadvantaged. And that's part of the problem. Macron has, has actually, to his credit, realized that uh, France has been stuck in a malaise for a very long time. He has tried to revive the economy a little bit. 
once people start participating in the economy, that gives them a little bit greater stake and a little bit less uh, of an ear to extremism. Uh, you know that that does help in many cases, but it's uh, it's not going to be enough. Frankly, France needs a robust intelligence operation far more than it has, and it has to focus on actionable intelligence uh, and and on behavior. But you can't simply go root and branch and trying to destroy all religion in general in order to get to Islam in a in a roundabout way. All right, I want to get to um, a, a story out of China. When we talk about totalitarianism, and obviously this is going to go now a step further than the conversation that we're having in France, um, let's, let's move to an example of what happens when a people are not free and how totalitarianism demands a totalizing influence in life, uh, going so far as to revise biblical texts and demanding a revisionist history be taught as truth. What's going on in China? This is chilling. There's a, a translation of the Bible being taught in school, and you think, well, that's wonderful news, right? Uh, unfortunately, it's not the real Bible. Uh, it's not the it's not uh, the gospel. It's it's from the Gospel of Saint John, and yet it is not the actual words of the gospel. Here's the translation that's being taught, uh, and this appears in. I thought this was a, a spoof. I honestly had to look this up many times to make sure that this wasn't. I, I wasn't being. Uh, wasn't uh, wasn't being punked on this. But uh, this is the translation. It's the familiar story of uh, Jesus and the woman taken in adultery. At the end, after he says, uh, you know, only, only uh, those who are without sin cast the first stone and everyone goes away, here's how the Chinese translation taught in public schools continues. When the crowd retweeted, Jesus raised a stone and killed the woman and said, what? I am also Wait, 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 yeah, what? That, that seems like a pretty big The crowd change. retreated and Jesus killed the woman? Yeah. yeah. That's, Jesus a, that's a pretty massive change in the story. That, that, that's a big edit. Uh, it's not the way that I learned in Sunday school. And he said, I also am a sinner, but if the law can only be executed by a spotless person, then the law will die. So what had been a beautiful story of God's grace and redemption and forgiveness, I mean, probably the most beautiful story of grace in the entire uh, Gospels, has been turned into an apologia for the death penalty being Im- uh, being implemented by the government and by people who are not sinless. Uh, as a matter of fact, not only is it not the gospel, it's actually plagiarized from a, a U.S. writer, Orson Scott Card. But uh, what the, the point of the story is that the Chinese government, even if it's hypocritical, even if it's sinful, it has the right to carry out the death penalty, and it's basing itself in a false gospel where Jesus is a murderer. Mm. Okay, so I'm feeling like um, if people hadn't had a wake-up call yet, uh, that we're giving them a pretty good wake-up call this morning um, of the direction that things head when people— do not live in the context of freedom in a way that defends the underlying value system um, that that created or that um, acknowledged the God-given uh, right. And I know that you, this is, this is sort of your area. So take a minute and express to people why uh, the freedoms that we enjoy, guaranteed by the First Amendment of the Constitution, but granted by God, why they matter, and why we need to rise up today to acknowledge and defend them. Right. 
Our, our U.S. Constitution does something that's unprecedented, which it, it recognizes that our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, and all other unalienable rights aren't given by the government, therefore they cannot be taken away by the government. They are unalienable, literally. They cannot be alienated from us because they come from God. Everyone who is born into this flesh, regardless of where they are on earth, has been endowed by their creator with these rights, and so they cannot be taken away. If you live in a political context where the government gives rights, then the government can deny them for any reason or for no reason, and that's precisely what's happening where a, a, a nation that is so dedicated to what it calls sinicization, to uh, making sure that everyone follows the Chinese Communist Party line, is willing to change the words of the gospel in order to keep people in line. Uh, obviously, they have concentration camps for Uyghurs. They are imprisoning dissidents. And the biggest scandal, to my mind, is that in the middle of uh, the most the most prominent Catholic dissident in Hong Kong, Jimmy Lai, has, is currently in prison. Pope Francis hasn't said a word. Many Christians around the world don't know that the gospel is being changed. The Ten Commandments are being taken down in their brethren churches in China. That's the biggest scandal. Let me give one other one, which is this. Every time that we attempt to deify politics for ourselves, where we place politics as the most important thing, we're doing the exact same thing to Jesus. We're, in, we're employing him, we're weaponizing him on behalf of our political view, rather than conforming ourselves to his doctrine. So I don't simply want to condemn others, but I want us to look at ourselves and ask, am I being conformed and discipled in the relationship to Jesus Christ and changing the way that I look, or am I changing Jesus to fit him into my worldview? Hmm. Uh, we're going to talk tomorrow with Rod Dreher about Live Not By Lies, and it has a, a, a very significant connection to the conversation Ben Johnson and I just had. Um, ben, thank you, as always, so much. We appreciate uh, your contribution to the conversation. Thank you, as always. You can find Ben at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. We'll be right back. Making the Bible available to every person in a way that they can understand and afford so all people may experience the life-changing message of God's Word. That is the mission of the American Bible Society, and one of the places where the American Bible Society uh, walks into that mission is among American military personnel and their families. The Armed Services Ministry of the American Bible Society does really extraordinary work on military bases uh, here in America and around the world. They've got all kinds of great stuff um, going on, and um, so I just wanted to talk with them. So Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough III is going to be here next. We're going to talk about um, his service as a field manager for the American Bible Society. We're going to talk about uh, Operation 500. We're also going to talk about what you specifically can do right now in, uh, in this holiday season for military families who have a mom or a dad deployed overseas. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so in Luke chapter 10, which is where we are today in our Advent reading, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we get Jesus sending out the 72. Uh, we get their return. We get all kinds of conversations about, hey, why couldn't we do that? We get the parable of the Good Samaritan. We also get a little glimpse into the home of Mary and Martha, who we're going to be with later as well um, when their brother Lazarus dies. And there's all kinds of great stuff in the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. But right in the middle, right in the middle 
verses 21 to 24 is something I don't want you to miss. And so be sure that today in your Advent reading on on this December the 10th in Luke chapter 10, you don't miss what's right in the middle. This is like the part of the Oreo that people savor. This is, this is what's right in the middle of the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, and I don't want you to miss it. We're going to talk about it uh, at the leadoff of the next hour, um, and maybe I'll have a couple of minutes at the end of this hour to highlight it as well. But I wanted to be sure that I got that said. Don't miss this portion of the reading in the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke today. Uh, I, got, uh, I got Pastor McCullough waiting in the wings right now. We'll be right back. Here's something every parent of a teen needs to know. Your kids can smell a hypocrite a mile away. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Nobody's perfect, of course, but there's a need for authenticity in our parenting like never before, especially when it comes to our faith. More than anything else, teens want to see if their parents live out what they say they believe. They watch when we're angry, dishonest, or disrespectful, but they also notice when we're loving, peaceful, and walking with integrity. Have you messed up in the past? Don't be afraid to admit it. Let your teen know that God is still working in you as well. But do your best to live out your faith that you're preaching. For free resources, ministry updates, and great parenting tips, like us on Facebook. Or find more help from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Once again, that's parentingtodaysteens.org. I'm quite privileged to introduce to you today the Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough III. Um, I am going to ask him what uh, his family called him when he was little, because anybody who's a third may have run out of nicknames. Um, But he is called a senior field manager for the American Bible Society, and he's joining us today to talk about the um, the Armed Services Ministry of the American Bible Society. Reverend McCullough, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, and thank you very much for having me. Okay, so you're a third. You're a three. Were you a trip? Were you a chip? Were you a triple sticks? Did you have a nickname? I, I did. I actually had two. So my family would call me Paul McCullough the turd and <laughs> try to harass me with that. No. And I grew up in South Philadelphia. And so if you ever saw the motion picture of Rocky, uh, they would refer to Rocky's friend as Paulie. And so a lot of my friends would call me, hey, yo, Paulie. I love that. I love that. All right. So you have a very unique ministry uh, service environment. Talk with us about the context of ministry where you serve. Yeah, I absolutely love working for the Armed Services Ministry of the American Bible Society because it allows me to combine all of my passions. I served in the military for 20 years in the United States Army. I retired as a lieutenant colonel, and I also really have a heart for ministry. And so I'm able to combine both of those backgrounds and skill sets and bring that to the Armed Services Ministry. And so my primary role is to bring the Word of God to service members across the nation, and not just put it in their hands, but to provide them with programs that get the Word of God into their hearts. 
And so by using my military background and my business background with my doctorate and just really my passion for ministry, I'm able to minister to service members across the country through partnerships with chaplains in the military, chaplains in the VA, military ministries, VSOs, and so forth. So it is the most incredible job I've ever had. And you've had some pretty incredible jobs. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about deployment. Um, you did spend a career, one career at least. You have you've had many. It's kind of fun. Um, you spent one career in the U.S. military, uh, in the Army. Talk a little bit about the experience of deployment. Yeah. So I actually had two deployments, and the first was to Iraq from October of 2005 until April of 2006. And I will tell you. That deployment was extraordinarily hard on my family. At the time, it was just my wife and my young son, who was about a year and a half old. And I will tell you that at any given time, about one-third of our armed services is deployed. And so that means, like, right now, during this Christmas season, a third of our military community is away from their family. And I knew firsthand what it is to experience that, because on Christmas Day of... 2005, I was awakened by rocket fire by the enemy that was trying to blow up the building where the service members were quartered and we were trying to sleep. And not even an hour after that, there was a vehicle bomb that blew up at the front gate. And you can feel the shockwave of that throughout the entire base. And I said to myself, well, I I wonder if, you know, like today is going to be my last day. Am I really going to die on Christmas Day? And I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. And I just said a prayer right then that day that God would just put a hedge of protection on me and that I would not die on Christmas Day. And I didn't want to tell my family about it and make them nervous. But I'll tell you, there are service members across the globe, about a third of our military that is going through that same exact issue right now. And when I went into my second deployment uh, to Kuwait, it was a much different scenario. And so My son was now 13, and by that point, I had a daughter who was nine years old. And at that point, uh, it was a very different situation because I had asked my son a very big uh, favor. I asked him to stand in my place as the man of the house. And that meant everything from fixing things to taking care of my wife and my daughter to protecting them and really just taking a leadership stance in any area that he possibly could. And when I first told him what I wanted him to do, he was really a little bit daunted and apprehensive about, you know, could he really step into that role? And so I shared with him a scripture verse that he really took comfort and solace in, where it says in Philippians 4, 4.13, I can do all things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so he was able to really step up to the plate. And every week when I called home, he would give me an update. Hey, dad, this week I've done this and this and this and this and this. And I was just so tremendously proud of the young man that he was becoming and the role that he was stepping into for me while I was gone. Now, my daughter was a little bit of a different story because what she needed was not strength. She needed hope. As a nine-year-old girl, her daddy was everything to her. And I was her hero. And I Gladly, I still am. And she was very, very concerned that I was going to get injured when I went to Kuwait. Now, I knew that Kuwait was a much safer place than Iraq, but she didn't know that. She couldn't really grasp that. And so she became very, very mad, just mad 
at the United States Army for taking her daddy away for six months. And so the passage of scripture that I shared with her was Psalms 23. And I said to her, listen, even if something does happen to me, you have a good father in heaven and he will always be there for you. He will never deploy. He's always going to be right there by your side. But I can also tell you that that good father is going to protect me because in Psalms 23, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I will tell you that throughout all of my deployments, my entire military career, the Lord our God has been with me and with my family, and that has made all the difference in keeping us together. Paul, I know that people who are listening right now are, um, well, they're, they're rejoicing in the way that uh, you have shepherded the family uh, over whom God has set you as head. Um, they're also celebrating that there's a man like you serving um, the men and women of the U.S. military today through the Armed Services Ministry of the American Bible Society. Um, we read headlines about the drawdown in Afghanistan, and part of that, when we read that, just sort of highlights the reality that there are a lot of men and women uh, deployed around the world, and they all have families back here at home. Um, after this very brief break, when we come back, can you just talk with us a little bit about the stress, particularly the mental health stress that families experience um, uh, when, they're, when their family members are deployed um, and what, uh, what we can do as members of the body of Christ to support them in this Christmas season? Would, could we talk about that yeah, when we come back? I would love to. Thank you. Awesome. That's up next. I'm talking with Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough III, a retired lieutenant colonel. Um, his, uh, his, the things that we could call him go on and on and on, but we now know that his friends just called him Paulie. All right, we'll be right back. All right, I have so many things that I want to talk with uh, Paul McCullough III about, um, but we're going to talk right now about what is going on through the Armed Services Ministry of the American Bible Society um, with the families of those who are deployed. So talk, uh, talk with us, Paul, about the stresses that military families here at home um, experience when their service members are deployed and how the church can respond. Yeah, you know, one of the greatest things that military families struggle with is not just the time of being away, but also the reintegration and just the idea that there is something greater than just the deployment. There is a heavenly father that is there for them and takes care of them and is able to help them through all the struggles that life brings. And so within the Armed Services Ministry, we've done a study with the Barna Group in 2019. And what we've learned is that people that engage in Scripture and daily reading of Scripture after they experience trauma are better able to cope and recover more successfully from that trauma. And then in 2020, we did a survey with the Barna Group, and we learned that people that are engaged with the church community are more likely to feel happy and satisfied. And so we took that knowledge, we took that understanding that the Barna Group provided to us. And, you know, since 1817, the Armed Services Ministry has been the premier provider of scriptural resources for the military community, for veteran service members and their families. And it started when we gave our first gift of 66 Bibles to the crew of the USS John Adams. Now, lots happened since then, but one of the things that we've done is move from just being a provider 
of resources to an organization that really cares about Bible engagement. And the way that we do that is through programs. And as it relates to military families and in particular to children, one of the things I am so proud to be able to talk about is a new program we have called Hero Squad. Now, Hero Squad is designed specifically for military children. And through donor commitments, we're able to provide a welcome box for these children, as well as four annual gift packages. Now, we have uh, three different age groups that we can cater to and focus on. And the first is an Eagle Squad from ages three to seven. We have a JV group from eight to 12. And then we have a varsity group that is 13 and older. And so when you get your welcome box, you're going to get an age-appropriate Bible. You're going to get age and gender-appropriate gifts. And you're going to get an age and gender-appropriate military devotional that's kind of written in the heart language for military families. And then every quarter, you're going to get an additional box with some gifts and some activities that are specifically designed to bring a family together. Because as I shared with you with my own family, there is nothing more important than keeping a family together, both during times of deployment and then when the service member comes back home and goes to reintegration. And at least in my experience, the way to do that is through the word of God. And so we're helping to facilitate that through this Hero Squad program. Okay, and to find that, we're going to send people to myherosquad.org. I'm hoping that's correct. Yes, myherosquad.org. Dot O-R-G. Um, all right. So one of the things that I have discovered about you, um, and I feel like you and I could have an endless number of conversations, because um, I, I do want to talk about um, Operation 500, which you guys are launching next year. Um, but can you tell people about the, um, the, in, the, the school that you're a part of, the Kingsway Leadership School? Because as I have done a little more research on this, it looks like it's now church-based, and I, I love this approach to education. So could you, could you brief people in on that? Yeah, I would absolutely love to. I'll tell you that Kingsway Leadership School is one of the things that I'm most uh, passionate about, as well as the Armed Services Ministry. So Kingsway Leadership School is uh, an extension of and uh, Kingsway Church based in Cherry Hill. It's a ministry arm that we have. And the program is combined of both traditional students, uh, what you would think of as a normal college age, as well as an evening program that we offer every Wednesday night. And that ranges from people that are in their mid-20s to people we've had that were in uh, you know, their 60s, 70s, and even 80s that were uh, students. And so what that program does is focus on heart, head and hands. And so the head component is the academics that's uh, brought to us through Southeastern University. We partner with them. And so they bring the academic curriculum. They're an accredited university and they offer the coursework. And so the program has two associate's degrees, 10 bachelor's degrees and five master's degrees. The heart component is the leadership development classes, then living out what it means to be a follower of Christ in daily life and how to lead yourself well so you can then lead others well. And then the hands component is getting out and serving in the local church and in the local community because Jesus Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so we try to model that and then teach the students to follow that example and to serve not just in the community, but in their families, in their workplace, in their church, everywhere they go, we want them to emulate Christ. 
Uh, it's so exciting. I, I've, you know, just discovered this by reading your bio, and I, um, I'm exhilarated to learn about this. So thank you for that. Um, you guys could check that out at kingsway.church. Uh, that's where you'll find the Kingsway Leadership School as you scroll down the page there at kingsway.church. All right, now we got like a minute left. Talk with us about Operation 500. I know you're looking forward to that in 2021. I am, and I spend a large portion of my day every day focused on Operation 500. And so the point of that program is to get 500,000 service members, veterans, and their families to engage in the Word of God through a 75-day Bible reading program. And it's hard, but it's not that hard. It's broken into five sections, 15 days in each section, and in each day it's only about 20 minutes worth of reading where we ask you to pray, read, reflect, and respond. And so we serve a big God, and you might say to yourself that 500,000 is a lot of people, but I absolutely know and believe that we serve a God of miracles, and we are going to reach and surpass that 500,000. And what I would encourage people to go to our site, armservicesministry.org, where you can find all of our programs, and then specifically militarybiblechallenge.net to learn more about the Military Bible Challenge and the Operation 500 campaign and sign up for that. We're launching on January 1st, 2021, and it's going to be a great year. All right, that's militarybiblechallenge.org. We also want uh, want you to know the armedservicesministry.org website. Um, if you if you go there right now, the very first thing that pops up is the Military Bible Challenge, Operation 500. So that might be an easy way to find it as well, armedservicesministry.org. Um, what a delight to meet you, to know that you are out there in the world advancing the gospel in so many ways. I am thrilled to know that um, you are actively depopulating hell and uh, through the ministries that God has you engaged with. Um, I, just, I, just, I just already love you as a brother. So thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Um, I, we're going to call you again. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure and an honor. What a blessing. What a blessing. All right, friends, we'll be right back. For Christmas, you can play. I mean, there's a guy who's not just talking about it. There's a guy who's doing it. That is, that is a guy right there, man. I am uh, Paul Perot. Thank you for finding uh, Paul McCullough for us. Well, wow. uh, okay, you, they, man, they you found a gem there. You found a gem. Thank they you. pitched it. Thank I, you, thank I, you, thank I you. grabbed it. There you go. I just love it. Um, all right, so. Um, I'm exhilarated by what's going on at Kingsway Church. I'm exhilarated by what's going on at armservicesministry.org. I love what they're doing at militarybiblechallenge.net. So exciting. All right, we got a whole other hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. And yes, I'm leading off with Luke chapter 10. And then we've got Peter Kapsner. I mean, all kinds of fun stuff. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.